Left field. Left field is the nothing personal word of the day. Today is Friday, March 26th, 2021. Left field, isn't that where you put the worst player on your team when you're in grade school or middle school? Maybe it's right field. Just get out there in the field. No one's going to hit it to you. Left field, it's when you're running a major league baseball team, you put the player with the worst defensive arm. You put the best arm in right field. You put the fast guy in center field. Left field, you put a guy, a guy who can mash. Left field, that's out of left field. That makes me smile, actually. Why don't we say that idea is out of center field? We say that idea is out of left field. That thought, that concept. The reason why left field is on my mind is the way we built teams, you put together a batting order once you have the players together. When you're signing players, you sort of envision where they would be on the field defensively. You sign players by need defensively, and then you think about where they fit in the lineup. Then you think about righty, lefty. Then you think about switch hitting, which is always a bonus, what the splits are, righty, lefty. The Chicago White Sox spent the entire offseason trying to get better and went into spring training as some people's favorite to win the American League pennant. Not here at Nothing Personal. We actually had to wait to see last month that the White Sox would not win the, the American League pennant. But the White Sox did a good job of improving their team. Jerry Reinsdorf has always been an owner who wanted that second ring to get his eighth total ring, six with the Bulls one with the White Sox in 05, and he wants to get a second win as he is uh, an octogenarian. So they had a bunch of great young players. They signed some veterans in Dallas Keuchel and Yasmani Grandal. Doesn't matter. What matters is that you watch spring training, you look out at left field, a ball is hit toward left field. You're in the suite, you're looking, Looks like a home run to me. All's good. Back goes Aloy Jimenez, one of their top three players, I would argue, while Abreu won the MVP. Don't forget about him. Uh, Aloy Jimenez is a very important part of their team. Playing in a spring training game that is completely meaningless. Goes back. I'm watching. Goes back. Everything's good. Oh, that's a home run. No problem. He jumps up and he hits the wall and the ball is a home run. He comes down and he's on his knees. I've seen that play happen in person with members of our team dozens of times. And your first thought is this. It's just the wind knocked out of him. He's good. And then he's down on one knee. That's always a good sign. What we look for with runners, with offensive players, if they are on one knee, that means that their legs are okay. When someone hurts their knee or tears their ankle or breaks their ankle, they're generally on their tuchus. When they're sort of kneeling, you know, okay, we don't have a leg issue. If it's a speed player, you're a little relieved. I could actually talk about what it is we look for when pitchers get hurt and what they do and how that makes me feel when I know something's bad, really bad, impossibly bad, out for the year, or it's just a nothing. He's going to stay in the game. So Jimenez is on one knee, potentially wind knocked out of him. The center fielder comes over, looks over him, and still... We're okay. I'm watching the game as a team president would watch a game because I still have that recollection. And I'm not panicked. I'm still sitting down. My level of panic goes the following from sitting down with my legs crossed, which is how I watch a game. We're good. Slight bit of concern. My legs uncross. 
still sitting. A little more concern, I lean forward. A little more concern, I stand up. A little more concern, I step forward in the suite, which is totally irrelevant. Don't know why I do it, but that's my next level of concern when I walk forward or when I'm sitting in the stands, I walk forward in the row. And then the next level of concern is picking up the phone and calling down into the clubhouse. And the last level of concern, like Stan just got hit in the face type of level of concern, you do none of those things, you stand up and walk right to the clubhouse. So that's the spectrum of injury concern when you see one of your players go down. So the center fielder walks over to Aloy Jimenez, and I am uncrossing my legs and I'm sitting forward, I'm paying attention, but that's it. I'm level two. It's like DEFCON 2. It's not even worth waking up the president. Barry Corbin has it all handled. Matthew Broderick has not broken into the system yet. He's only changing grades at his school. We are at DEFCON 2. Then I see the manager run out. Okay. Managers do that for the best players. They say they do it for all players, but sometimes just the trainer goes out. That's another thing you should watch for when a player on your team is hurt. If the manager and the trainer run out simultaneously, then there is a measure of concern or it's one of the best players. If the trainer goes out first and the manager goes to the top step, there's these little unwritten rules in baseball, goes to the top step of the dugout, that shows the player that he cares, but not enough to start schwitzing as he has to run to where the player is. So no one's really coming out. Jimenez just has the wind knocked out of him. Left field is covered. Wait a minute. Here comes the, tra oh no. The manager is four steps behind the trainer jogging toward Jimenez. Jogging, no problem. We've got a jog. Jimenez is not moving. He's sort of on his knee. The center fielder is looking at him. The other thing you look for is when an opposing, not an opposing, a teammate of the injured player immediately waves to the dugout. That is legs uncrossed right to the phone. So Tony La Russa gets himself, and that's really something that you have to know that Tony La Russa is not gonna jog unless there is a problem that I'm not seeing at the game or on TV. So Tony La Russa is jogging behind the trainer. Maybe it's a full run for Tony. There's no way to know the difference. Aloy comes out of the game. I'm the president of the team. I see him walking off the field. When a player walks off the field and is taken out of the game, if he's walking under his own strength, no stretcher, no arms around teammates, likely I'm gonna wait for the call. If it's a player who is critical to the success of the team, I'm not gonna wait for the call, I'm gonna go down to the clubhouse. In this case, Aloy Jimenez is very important to the team and I wait, I get a call, oh no. He has a what? He better get an x-ray. He hurt his pectoral? Wait, did he, he didn't hear anything, did he? Question one to your trainer. Did he hear anything? We asked that of an Achilles. We asked that of an elbow. You asked that of a pectoral muscle. You asked that of a hamstring. Did he hear anything? When you can hear it on the field, when you can hear it in the stands, forget it, D-O-N-E. Like remember when Dave Dravecki, I'm gonna age myself, Dave Dravecki was a pitcher and he, his arm basically fell off during a pitch. And he had had such an amazing comeback. He had had cancer, I believe, and his arm popped. And it was the pop of a break. That is an unmistakable pop, game over, career over. It was horrible. So you, you 
Was there a pop? Did anyone hear a pop? Did Aloy hear a pop? He what? He heard a pop? Oh, my God. All right, get it x-rayed, get it MRI'd. Wait a minute, call the PR guy. We are not telling the media. We are not announcing a pop. We are announcing removed with pectoral soreness. We will have an update tomorrow. I don't want to talk to the media. I don't want to tell the media. There's no reason for anyone to know. Aloy Jimenez, next day, of course, we find out 10 minutes later, but we, the, the media finds out, the fans find out, he tore his pectoral muscle. He's out five to six months. That is the range of how I deal with injuries. Once you find out he's out five to six months out for the year, you get your GM together, you get your manager together, you figure out what you're going to do, who's going to play where, whether or not we need to be scouring the waiver wire for players who are let go at the end of spring training because there are a lot of players for roster reasons who are opt out of their contracts today, tomorrow, around this time. Like Jay Bruce with the Yankees has a decision to make. The Yankees have a decision to make. I think we talked about this on yesterday's show, but of course I can't remember. People are crying for spring training to be fewer games. What are you doing, Aloy? Why are you even going after that home run ball? Rick Hahn, the GM of the White Sox said publicly, I don't know why he went after that ball so hard. It's spring training. I've spoken to GMs for 18 years. They've all told me the same thing every year. When a player gets hurt during spring training, do not blame spring training. Players play as hard as they play because when they don't play as hard as they usually play, that's when you get hurt. That's why I worry about football players during the Pro Bowl. That's why I worry about players who aren't paying attention, who don't care. You have to go hard because that's how you actually protect your body. There is the equal likelihood of getting hurt during a regular season game is during a preseason game. The odds of a home run going exactly where that home run went in yesterday's White Sox game or two days ago, where Eloy thought that he had a chance to jump, so went hard to the wall, jumped, and he happened to hit his pec in a certain way that ruptured his pectoral tendon. That is the same likelihood in game 40, game 80, game 160, or game four of the championship series. There's no difference. So stop blaming spring training on the injury for Aloy Jimenez. It has nothing to do with it whatsoever, I promise you. Does this impact the White Sox and their ability to win the pennant? It hurts. If you think the Minnesota Twins are not doing the Snoopy dance, you're wrong and they're lying to you. Here's what we would say when we were asked about an opposing team's player getting hurt. Let's say it's a Phillies pitcher or a Mets pitcher or the best position player on a team in your division. You say, hey, that's very disappointing to be the best. We want to beat the best and we want to beat the best of each team that we play. And then we laugh. That's not true. We just say it because you're supposed to say it. you're supposed to have camaraderie. You're supposed to feel badly when injuries happen. When we find out the pitchers are having Tommy John in rotations in Philadelphia or New York or Washington. Believe me, we're happy, happy. I mean, we're not singing Pharaoh. We're not going out and publicly saying how happy we are, but internally you bet your bottom silver dollar that we're happy. Injuries are a part of the game. It is something that we study. That's a dollar coca. It's something that they study. It is something that the commissioner cares about because the owners care about it. It's something that our owner cared about as well as every owner because we have to give them a count every year of disabled list money. 
So when you read about a team's payroll, just a little FYI, that is a number that is an executive we never look at. The USA Today number, never look at. The payroll of the players on the team playing, never look at it. But that's a very fun media exercise. Do you know the Marlins had $32 million on the team playing against the Yankees who had $110 million on the field? The Marlins had $32 million on the field. Who cares? We look at our entire cash payroll. So Eloy Jimenez had a contract this year, Coca. I have no idea what he was making. I'm completely blanking. Let's just say it's a million dollars. Let's say it's $4 million. Let's say it's $3 million. I actually can't remember. To me, he seems young. We were talking before the show that Carlos Correa, who we're going to talk about later in the show, is only 26 years old. It feels like he's been around forever. We then were talking about LeBron James, which is mind-boggling to me. LeBron James was already done, done with the big three in Miami before he was 30 years old. I, I can't even believe how that's possible. So I lose track of ages all the time. So Eloy, how old is he? Coca, do I have to delay even more for you to look to see how old Eloy Jimenez is and how, what his salary is? I mean, for the love of, oh, he's only 24. Golly, I feel like he's been around for a while. He's the one who signed that long-term deal last year. He signed 43 million for six. I did not remember that. Coca remembered that. So if he's only 24, my guess is he's not arbitration eligible. So my guess is he's still making the minimum, but even in a long-term deal like that, they could have increased his minimum maybe to a million dollars. But in any case, when you think about what your payroll is, you combine the payroll of your active players, then you add pension, because every team in baseball has to give 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, $20 million, regardless of your payroll, by the way. It's not relevant because the pension liability of a major league team, of the major league entity, is divided by 30 equally, whether your payroll is 200 million or 20 million. So your pension amount, benefit amount, it's called pension and benefits, that also goes into your payroll amount. Then there's something called your Disabled list allowance. A disabled list, a disabled list allowance is money paid to players not to play because they're hurt. So Aloy Jimenez is making three and a half million dollars this year. He is going to make that money. It's a guaranteed contract, but that's not going to be on the 26-man roster. He's on the disabled list. So you add up all the money that you pay to players on the disabled list. Before the season starts, you estimate it. And then when the season ends, you correct it into what the actual is. And disabled list is part of payroll. While you don't want to think that, here's what the White Sox happened to their payroll yesterday when Aloy was out for the year. The 3.5 million is a sunk cost, but they have to have 26 members of their team. So they have to call up, let's say they call up a minor league player at the minimum. The minimum is around $600,000. The White Sox payroll went up $600,000, period. That's just the beginning. It's not great. So injuries happen every year. We know that. We're trying to cut injuries down. Another dollar. When am I going to stop Coca, do you think? Three years? By the time I'm 50? Who knows? Teams sign players. They sign players knowing of the injury risk. When you sign a pitcher who's ready out of Tommy John, you know there's a risk of a second Tommy John and you're willing to take it. You do a risk reward analysis, a cost benefit analysis. You factor that into the salary that you are offering that player and you swallow hard and say, please be healthy. The Toronto Blue Jays did a lot of swallowing this offseason. 
doing a lot to improve their team. They signed the top pitching free agent last year in Ryu. They signed the top position player free agent this year. And I say that Springer is better than JT, even though I love JT, but Springer is the top position player this year. And then they realized they needed help in their bullpen. And they said, we have a way to help our bullpen. How about this guy, Kirby Yates? Kirby Yates is a player who two years ago was a lights out closer. L-I-G-H-T-S-O-U-T. He then had an injury and uh, he was less lights out. He was a free agent. The Atlanta Braves were going to sign him to a $12 million contract one year, see if he can come back. They gave him the physical and he failed the physical and the Braves said, bye-bye. We're not going to sign you right now. You didn't pass the physical. We think your arm is about to fall off. Kirby Yates then negotiates with the Toronto Blue Jays who are looking for pitching. The Blue Jays say, all right, let's take a look. They look at his physical and say, oh God, your arm looks like a spaghetti machine. We were thinking of giving you 12 million, but here's an idea. Let's give you five and a half million. We'll give you a bunch of incentives and go pitch and let's see what happens. Kirby Yates said, hell yeah. Kirby Yates got five and a half million dollars, goes to spring training, pitches in a few games. Rut row, he's out. Probably another Tommy John. Done for the year. If I'm the owner of the Blue Jays, I am furious. Why am I furious? Because when we have a player who we know has failed a physical for another team, and we know that we could have failed him, but we're taking a flyer on the assumption that he can be Ugetherbina. What do I mean by that? Ugeth Urbina was a pitcher we traded for in 2003 to help us win a World Series from Texas. Ugeth Urbina was a player we had in Montreal two years earlier. Ugeth Urbina was a player who had a lodged bone chip in his elbow and he could not fully extend his arm. Ugeth Urbina, if you're watching this on YouTube, spent his life with his arm basically locked in a almost V-like position. But we said to ourselves, it's worth it. We're not keeping him in 2004. He's here for three months. He's been healthy with Texas. And let's hope he can hold on. What's the big difference between taking a chance on Ugeth Urbina and Kirby Yates? The difference is that Urbina had shown health during the year that we traded for him. And we just needed that bone chip to stay in place. And we knew he could pitch with his arm in the locked position. When you sign a pitcher in the offseason, you have no idea whether, whether he can pitch. Now, you can give him a physical, that's fine. You can say, hey, throw a bullpen, that's fine. But I've seen a 1,000 pitchers, I'm exaggerating, call it 500, who have thrown a bullpen who are in such pain, but they hide it because they want to get signed to a deal. And then once they're signed, they say, ooh, man, does that hurt. No, I'm not calling that fraud. It's not. That's not fraudulent inducement to enter into a contract. That is a pitcher saying, I can pitch through it. No problem. And then they realize they can't pitch through it because when the season starts, they have an ERA that's larger than my shoe size. And I have very large feet. No, I don't. My feet are size eight, but an ERA that's an eight, that's a large ERA. So the reason why the Blue Jays signed him to five and a half is that they said to themselves, that is a risk we're willing to take. My view, when you've got a player like that, you give him a $1 million base and you let him earn more than the 12 million that he was gonna get with Atlanta. And you say to him, Kirby, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna give you a chance to make $20 million this year. 
because we think that you can be the best closer in the game. But here's the problem. Your elbow may fall off. So we're going to guarantee you a million dollars, but then we will pay you $19 million in incentives based on games finished. We're not going to do it based on appearances because if you're not good enough to close games, then you're a middle reliever and you shouldn't make 20 million anyway. But we know you should make more than 1 million as a middle reliever, middle reliever. So we'll give you different incentives for appearances that are not games finished. You won't take that? You want a guarantee of what? Five and a half million with incentives to make it even higher? How's your arm? You okay? Are you, you're, you're okay, right? You're good. Hey, Rogers, this is Mark and Ross. We're good. Yeah, he's good. We're good. Nope, not good. Not good at all. Kirby Yates being hurt with the Blue Jays is an example of a deal gone bad. They calculated the risk reward incorrectly, in my opinion. This does not help them. It doesn't crush them because they're still a very good team. And I do not know how they can replace them other than during the season, if they've got money left over, which if you're the Blue Jays, you have to, you absolutely have to. You have to be able to add at the deadline if you're the Blue Jays. Mark my words, Coca. The Blue Jays will have to add pitching at the deadline. They will have no choice in the matter. When we come back, we're gonna review a four hour movie and we're gonna talk about what goes into the, what is the mental part of offering one of your best players an extension as a free agent to be. We will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Today is Friday. Just another manic Friday. Wish it were Friday, because that's my fun day. My I don't have to run day. Hope everyone had a good week. Thank you for downloading and following on Nothing Personal. I used to say downloading and subscribing, but apparently you can press subscribe, but eventually there's no subscribers. It's followers like Twitter, but on your Apple, wherever you get your podcast. So thank you for downloading, following, subscribing, telling your friends about Nothing Personal. We appreciate that very much. We did a Twitter space last night, Coca. How did that go? 
follow me on Twitter at David P. Sampson. Do a Twitter space. We do it every Thursday. At, try to do it every Thursday at 8 p.m. And uh, it crashed. Coco was on the phone with Twitter and they said, sorry, we're, we're going to do better. Let's be better. So we tried it again. It crashed again. And we just went over to Instagram, which is the same David P. Sampson, but it's not interactive. So I like Twitter spaces better. I like Clubhouse better because I like the interactive nature. I was trying to follow along everyone's questions during the course of the Instagram live hour. And I found it to be quite difficult to read as quickly. Thank God Coco was there with his samurai haircut. Do you know, by the way, Coca, when I, side note, just thought of this. When I was uh, cast on Survivor, I wanted to practice making fire with Flint. So I went to get a machete, which I still have, and a, a thing of Flint. What's it called? A piece of Flint, a block of Flint. And I went into the driveway with Larry Beinfest, former president of baseball operations with the Marlins. And we were in Florida and we tried to, learn how to make fire with Flint. What a bunch of absolute morons we look like. We could not do it. So we're, we're trying to scrape the Flint off with this machete. We had this big time machete, like a real, real. What I was doing buying a machete, I didn't get it. I didn't need a background check. I didn't anything. I just went to buy a machete. I think we went to uh, that, that fishing store in Florida, that huge fishing store off the 95 I can't think of it for the life of me, Coca, but it sells everything under the sun, even firearms, which I didn't even come close to going into that department. I can't believe they do sell firearms. And I don't like going into stores that do sell firearms because it's ridiculous. But in any case, that's a side political note, which I don't mean to be political. I just don't like guns. I don't like guns. It doesn't mean I'm not a Republican. It means I don't like guns. So we practiced with the machete and all I could think of when watching Coco with his haircut on Instagram live last night was, does he own a machete because he sure as heck looked like a samurai. So welcome back. Did we go to commercial yet, Coca? I can't remember if we did. Anyway, welcome back. I think we did watch a movie every day. I have never watched. I started CBS Sports HQ a few months after I was jettisoned from the Marlins and I had not seen any Marvel movies other than the first Iron Man with Robert Downey Jr. And I just, I was whatever. I just wasn't that into it. And then Hakeem Dermish and several of the other people at CBS Sports HQ, uh, some of the producers as well. I don't remember where you were, Coke, at this time. You were working on another show and who knew what our future was going to be. But I was told to watch the Marvel movies in order. I was given an order to watch them. And I then spent the next month and I watched every Marvel movie and I absolutely love them. I don't remember whether we've reviewed them on Nothing Personal because this was before Nothing Personal. But in any case, I didn't really watch any DC movies. I didn't know the difference between Marvel and DC. I had seen Jack Nicholson play Batman. I'd seen, he, uh, I'd seen Jack Nicholson play the Joker. I'd seen Michael Keaton play Batman. I'd seen George Clooney play Batman. I had seen Heath Ledger play the Joker. I'd seen Joaquin Phoenix play the Joker, but I'd never heard of Justice League. I hadn't seen it. I knew Ben Affleck was Batman. Uh, Affleck, Affleck is the insurance, right? Affleck, Affleck. So I'd seen Ben Affleck not as Batman, just be told that he was a bad Batman. And then I think Robert Pattinson is Batman, but I never saw that movie. And then all of a sudden on HBO Max, I see a four hour movie called Justice League. This is one month after I watched my first, what I thought was a real DC comic movie, which was WW84 with Gal Gadot. I think we may have reviewed that on Nothing Personal. 
So I'm looking at this Justice League. It's a four-hour movie, and I'm not scared at all because that's the length of a limited docuseries. So I figured I'd watch it in counterparts. I'd sit down and watch the first two hours, the second two hours. I didn't realize that Zack Snyder, I didn't know the backstory, that Zack Snyder had released the same movie back in 2017, that he had to leave production of the movie because of a family tragedy, and that another director, Joss Whedon, had taken over. I didn't know any of this backstory. So I sit down and watch Justice League, Zack Snyder's Justice League, it's called. Zack Snyder's Justice League in four colon three, which means the movie is not wide, it's long. I'm looking at Wonder Woman. I'm looking at Aquaman played by, I don't know, is that, um, is that Lenny Kravitz's ex-wife's current husband? I have some recollection that it is, but I can't remember his name. His name is Jason something. Thank you, Coco. What is it? I can't hear you. Momoa? Jason Momoa plays Aquaman. Then you've got Henry Hill. That's the guy from Goodfellas. It can't be Henry Hill. Henry Cahill, something like that, playing Superman, Cavill. You've got Ben Affleck playing Batman. You've got Jeremy Irons playing Alfred. You've got Amy Adams playing Lois Lane. Diane Lane, who I love, not playing Lois Lane, playing the father of Superman. You have all of these amazing stars in this movie. And I'm watching the movie and I'm thinking, what did I say, Coca? It's the mother. Diane Lane plays Superman's mother. Oh, I said father. Sorry, it's mother. I'm watching the movie and I am in awe. I don't know what the hell's going on, but I'm in awe at the movie making that I am witnessing, the technology that I'm watching, the way the movie is put together in different parts, the way there is full character development, including Ezra Miller from the perks of being a wallflower plays a superhero named Flash who can run at the speed of light. Like the powers these guys have is quite fascinating to watch. And there is a, uh, a plot. What do you think the plot is in Justice League? It's the end of the world, of course. It's a bad guy from a universe far, far away trying to end the world, and he's got to get the Avengers together. It's not the Avengers. It's the uh, Justice League. He's got to get them together and save the world. So Zack Snyder apparently did not like the movie that he was attached to four years ago, and people did not either. It was a failure, and you, the audience, hashtagged Warner Brothers until they let Zack Snyder release the director's cut of a full movie, including an epilogue with a newly filmed scene with Ben Affleck and a guest star that I don't want to spoil for you. And the movie's great. So if you've got four hours, and I know you do because you'll watch a series for four hours, even if you've seen the previous Justice League from what I've read after, this new Justice League really has nothing to do with the old Justice League. There's way more. It's how the director, Zack Snyder, would have wanted it. And so he did. And so you have it. I would strongly suggest watching it. So I told you I was going to talk about Carlos Correa, and I want to. Carlos Correa is one of the players on the uh, Houston Astros, a world champion player, a phenomenal shortstop, an all-around player who is 32 years old is what I thought. Turns out he's 26. Don't know how that's possible. I feel like he's been around forever. Going to be a free agent at the end of the year, and the Houston Astros have a decision to make. What are you going to do? You've got Verlander out with Tommy John. You've got 
Zach Greinke getting old. You've got Garrett Cole, who you let go to the Yankees. You've got Altuve, who signed. You re-signed Brantley, let Springer go. You've got a team that is good, but not great. Correa is a critical member of your team, playing a hugely important position, both defensively and offensively, top of class. You've got free agent shortstops coming up next year. That is the best free agent shortstop class in history. Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, Javi Baez, Francisco Lindor, Trevor Story. It's unbelievable. If you don't have Fernando Tatis, you are in the market for one of these shortstops. It's why I believe the Mets will come up with an extension with Lindor before the season starts. And it's why the Astros are trying to sign Correa. So when you decide you're going to sign a player, you sit down with the owner and you say, here's our choice. We can let Correa go to free agency. And then we are subject to the whims of teams who may want to throw money at him that we do not think we should throw at him because you never get the bang for your buck by re-signing your own free agent. You only keep the same team, but you don't improve your season ticket holders. You don't get more corporate revenue. You don't get that lift from signing someone else's free agent. It's always better to sign someone else's free agent when it comes off the field. On the field, if you've got the right guy, it's always better to sign your own free agent because you know him, you've lived with him. You know everything the player can do. You know exactly whether the player's healthy. You know exactly what the player's work habits are. You don't have to rely on hearsay at all. You know with your own eyes, and that is always the best way to value a player. So the Astros are trying to get ahead of the free agent market of shortstops, and they sat down with Correa and said, we have a great deal for you. Six years, $120 million. I assume that had been a typo. Carlos Correa is much higher than a $20 million play, player, given where Machado is, given where Lindor is going to be, given where Tatis is. Tatis is a $24 million free agent player except he wasn't even close to free agency the way Correa, has, Correa is. He doesn't have close to the career Correa has had. Not even close. Make sure you understand what I'm saying. Are you ready? Fernando Tatis is not close to the player that Carlos Correa is. Relax. Don't at me at David P. Sampson. He's not close to the player in terms of valuing him today as a free agent. That is because Fernando Tatis has 143 games in the big leagues. So by definition, when you pay Tatis, you get a few years pre-arbitration, then you get his arbitration years, then you pay him his free agent money, his free agent years. But by guaranteeing him money now, you get a discount in the free agent years. Manny Machado went to the Padres as a free agent got 30 million a year. Lindor is going to be a free agent. He's going to beat 30 million. Correa is a free agent. He's going to slip in under Machado. 26 is my guess. Carlos Correa responded to the Houston Astros offer of 120 over six with a very telling statement after a spring training game yesterday. Very rare for players to talk about negotiations. Very rare to acknowledge an offer, even rarer to talk about the size of the offer. That is the size 
of the problem that the Astros have with Correa. Correa said, the first offer I thought was really low. If that's how they feel about me and that's where we stand, then I guess I will go out there and play. Thank you. And try to win a championship. Thank you. Uh Uh-oh, here comes a bad line. Wait for it. Oh, no, don't say it. Please don't say it. And try to win a championship for the city of Houston before free agency. Uh Uh-oh. Those were words that were chosen carefully by Carlos Correa. He didn't say for the city of Houston, my teammates and this organization. He said the city of Houston only, and he left it at that. That means he no likey the organization. Houston has a problem. They're calling up Ron Howard. They're seeing if they can speak to Tom Hanks, maybe Kevin Bacon. And they're going to say, what do we do now? Here's what you do if you're the Astros and Correa says what he said. You go down and talk to him. If I were the president of the Astros, I'm immediately talking to Correa in person in the clubhouse. And I'm saying, Carlos, we wanted to put an offer on the table to set a floor. We don't want to negotiate with you during the season. We don't, I do not see getting to Machado. I do not see getting to 10 years. Where I think this ends is somewhere around eight at 25, 200 over eight, but that's it. I don't think it's going to change. And you're taking a risk by playing this year, entering your free agency. The risk is that there are not five teams who need free agents, shortstops. The risk is that there's a work stoppage and that owners have a change in how business is done after the work stoppage or a new collective bargaining agreement. And I am trying to explain to the player what the positives are and what the negatives are. I'm telling him that he shouldn't be insulted but there is still meat left on the bone. That's an expression for there's still money left to give. But I'm going to be honest with my player because this is there's no screwing around with Correa. You say the most I'm getting to is 200, and that's it. I can't go higher than eight. If you're in, let's get this done. Let's celebrate, and let's go try to win another championship and do it without cans and without stealing signs. Are you in or are you out? I just don't think the Astros are going to do that. I really don't. However... Wait to see is when I tell you something's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, we'll revisit it. If it does happen, we'll revisit it. We will revisit every one of the wait to sees. And we are at episode 339. We do it almost every show. Carlos Correa is not leaving the Astros. When they let Springer go, that was them saying we're keeping Correa. And he knows it. He will sign with the Astros. I don't know that it'll be before the season starts, but he will sign with the Astros at the end of the day. Not today. I want to tell you about something that I was just told about before the show started. It's the all new Stitcher podcast app. So I have downloaded Stitcher, by the way. It's been rebuilt from the ground up, though, to make it easier to listen to podcasts on the go or on the revamped web player if you are in your office or in your home. Stitcher is home to all your favorite podcasts, classics like My Favorite Murder. That's a classic. This American Life. And how did this get made? Of course, you can get all the CBS shows. We've got Eye on College Basketball, Fantasy Baseball Today, and of course, on Stitcher, you know it. You know it. Nothing personal with David Sampson. In Stitcher, you have more control, like you can set your download preferences per show. You can listen at virtually any speed. Have you ever listened to me at half? 
it sounds like I have had 12 drinks. Or if you put it at two, it sounds even crazier than I sound at one. With Stitcher, you can listen to your podcast anytime, anywhere. So give the all-new Stitcher a try. Download it on the App Store or at Stitcher.com. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R dot C-O-M slash download. Stitcher. Nothing personal pick of the day. Remember I told you uh, when last week when we didn't lose that I felt like we'll never lose again. And this week when we couldn't win because of that guy who joined nothing personal and started betting, I did hear from him again. And this is really something. He did not bet the Sixers last night. Thank the Lord. We're back in the win column. 39 and 25, the Sixers beat the Lakers. The Lakers have lost four in a row, I think. The Heat have lost five in a row. So LeBron's teams are, are, are struggling right now. The Heat helped themselves at the trade deadline. They got Victor Oladapo. Pat Riley's something, isn't he, folks? You know, I want to say that uh, the Raptors did a little bit of overestimating in their ability that their executive is better than Pat Riley. There is no executive better than Pat Riley. You think you're going to get Tyler Hero, a young guy in a rookie contract who can shoot, who's having a down year as a sophomore, who had a great year helping them to the finals in the bubble. You think that he's going to trade him along with yet another pick to get an expiring contract of a 35-year-old point guard, albeit the best Raptor in history? Come on. Wasn't going to happen. Duncan Robinson, no problem. Olenek, sure. The Raptors thought the Heat would blink, and Pat Riley said no. We're going to go to Houston, the team that's lost 30 out of its last 30 games, and we're going to get Victor Oladipo. He does shoot 20 times a game, but not with us because they've got a system. And when players join the Heat, they join the system. Oladapo will work with Eric Spolstra. He'll take 15 shots a game and score 17 points a game the way he has over his career. It is a brilliant pickup for a team that has now lost five in a row. They lost last night to the Trailblazers on a foul at the end of the game by another one of their new players, Trevor Ariza. Do you know when a when Damon Lillard is going for a shot, you can't hit a shooter in the forearm when they're shooting. That's a foul. So tie game, five seconds left. He's taken a three that's sort of a desperation three. Try not to foul him. Anyway, that's how the Heat lost 125-122. But Pat Riley got the absolute best of the trade deadline. The Raptors ended up staying put. They traded Powell. They didn't get Lowry traded. The Lakers did not help themselves. Danny Green of the Sixers. Had a good game last night. I thought he was on the Lakers. That's why I just mentioned his name, but I know he's on the Sixers. And it's the Sixers who beat the Lakers, which is why we won our nothing personal pick of the day. We have a huge weekend of sports coming up. So we are going to go three days of picks. Because on Monday, by the way, it's the mailbag episode. Can I tell you what a mailbag episode is, please? If you're new to nothing personal, at the end of every month, we do what's called the mailbag bonus episode where I answer questions the entire show. Questions that you put in Apple when you rate and review five stars, review and write a review and within review, ask a question. And a lot of you do that, which is tremendous. A lot of you ask questions on Twitter at David P. Sampson. It's really terrific. And I thank you for all of it. So on Monday, we're going to have the mailbag bonus pod because it's already, which is hard to imagine, the end of March. The first quarter 
of 2021 is already done. Wow. Okay, so tonight we have a game between the Suns and the Raptors. I thought the Raptors, knowing that the deadline was coming and knowing that Lowry and Powell were going to be traded, knowing that Siakam is struggling and fighting with Nick Nurse, I actually thought there was going to be an issue there, but the Raptors crushed and we lost. But now the trade deadline's over. They're without Powell. Lowry is staying put, which is disappointing to him no matter what he says. He had already sold his Toronto house. In my mind, he assumed he was out the door, but the Raptors wanted too much for him for a reason that is beyond me because they likely are not going to make the playoffs this year. And then he's a free agent. Meanwhile, the Phoenix Suns, the team last year and previous years, has struggled so badly that Draymond Green wanted Devin Booker out of Phoenix because it was such a dumpster fire in Phoenix. Is anyone paying attention to the Phoenix Suns? Coke, are you paying attention? Is it possible the Phoenix Suns have the second best record in the Western Conference behind the Utah Jazz? And that the Lakers are holding on to home court in the first round by the skin of their teeth. And the Clippers are in third. And the Phoenix Suns have the second best record in the West. I could be wrong. Suns minus four and a half over Raptors. Let's try to get back to 15. We're trying to win our 40th game. We are 39 and 25. Suns minus four and a half over Raptors. Who knows what they're doing this weekend? Raise your hand. We got the NCAA. By the end of this weekend, we will know. Do we know who's in the final four by the end of this weekend? I think we do. There's 32 teams left. After this weekend, there's 16 teams left, right? Or are there only 16 teams left now? I'm having a total brain issue right now. I think at the end of this weekend, we'll know who's in the Sweet 16. A lot of exciting games, a lot of upsets, a lot of low seeds are still in there. But I want to talk about the team that beat my Badgers. Baylor's just good. I watched him play. They're only favored by seven and a half over Villanova on Saturday. While Villanova is a good team, I am definitely taking Baylor minus seven and a half and you got yourself a winner. That's a Saturday game. That's two. Let's look at Sunday. What happened to the big 17? Wisconsin lost. Ohio State lost. Michigan is still in there. They are playing Florida State. I am a Miami guy. University of Miami Hurricane. I didn't go there. I just like the Hurricanes. I have so many friends who are Gators and acquaintances. Gators. So many friends, best friends who are Seminoles. Best friend, not a best friend. Friends, I don't want to throw that word around, who are Seminoles. Florida State is playing Sunday. I'll be watching. You'll be watching. Florida State plus two and a half. I think we've seen that the Big Ten is just not good. They played each other all year long, and they may have gotten number one seed. I'm sorry to my brother Daniel and to all of the people who went to Michigan, including my future son-in-law, but the fact of the matter is Florida State plus two and a half over Michigan. Book it. Three nothing personal picks of the day going into this great weekend of college basketball. That's a week. That's a wrap. That's a show. And remember, it's just business. It's nothing personal.